0: Thank you for joining me on this literary pilgrimage into the mind of one writer at a time. My interview today is with Hernan Diaz, author of the novel Trust.
1: Loneliness and Solitude is something that has always interested me, you know, in 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 most of things that I write. Um, that that is. To me, maybe not to other readers, it's the thing that I find myself, oh, oh, I'm writing about loneliness again. You know, sometimes it's intentional and sometimes it isn't.
0: We'll be back with Hernan Diaz after these essential words. So this past June marked the 10th anniversary of First Draft. The first episode aired on June 10th, 2013. And if the person I am today told my younger self that I'd be nearly 450 episodes deep into this show in 10 years, I would have laughed at my future self. But alas, here we are. And how did we get here? At what I would estimate is 9,000 hours of work I've put into this podcast. That's reading, researching, interviewing, editing, arranging the guests. I am the entire staff. And I guess the answer is, how did we get to 9,000 hours, is a mixture of insanity and blind but ferocious dedication to sharing conversations about craft and literature. This isn't AI, folks. This is weekends where I sit and read and so many things in my life that get fully ignored for this endeavor. And I honestly consider it a gift to the world It's a place where my passion, and I hope some amount of finesse and skill, marry together to offer this conversation you're about to hear directly to you in the intimate way that audio works. And if you get anything out of this episode, or the hundreds that came before, or hopefully the hundreds that will come next, I am asking you in the most honest and authentic way I know how to please support this show. While I love making it and talking to authors and the entire endeavor fills me up, it does not pay the bills. And if we want to support art in this world and conversations about art and lift the curtain up and really talk about how art gets made, well, your support will help keep this show alive. It's here today because of listeners who became supporters. And that's the truth. So I'm asking you to bolster this rich dialogue, this juicy material with financial support. It's not easy to do, but sticking with this for 10 years wasn't easy to do either, and it's not going to be easy in the future. But if nothing else, it's reliable and consistent. With every episode, I lean into the values of honesty, vulnerability, curiosity, and connection. I think about them as I create this show, and I hope you can feel them in the content. I simply cannot take this time to create First Draft without your support. Please join me on this journey by becoming a donating member to the First Draft community. You can support the show today at patreon.com slash firstdraftwriters. You can donate on a monthly or annual level. As a thank you to my patrons, you receive access to cuts from the interviews that didn't make it to the final show, ad-free, pitch-free episodes so you won't have to hear this again, and writing tips from my guests. Again, you can become a supporter by going to patreon.com slash Writers. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash Writers. Please stay tuned. At the end of the interview, I'll offer recommendations on an episode in the archive that is similar to the one you're about to hear. And please rate the show on iTunes and tell everyone you know to subscribe. Thank you for your listening support. And thank you for being here with me today, right here in this moment.
2: The publishing industry is a system.
1: Books are mirrors into people's experiences.
2: And in season two of Missing Pages, we'll take a look at what happens when an old system faces new challenges. This is what happens when you involve money. I'm Beth Ann Patrick, literary critic, writer, and your host of season two of the Missing Pages podcast, a show that gives you a ringside seat to some of the juiciest conflicts in the book world in season two we're turning up the dial
1: she wasn't pretty much a stratosphere all around the term is academic fraud teachers in florida had to cover up their bookshelves for fear of getting sanctioned or fired
2: we'll dig into these stories with industry insiders and talk to authors like jody picot for their firsthand experiences you can child proof your world but you can't world proof your child it's time we find these missing pages and return them to their stories Listen and subscribe to season two wherever you get your podcasts.
0: My interview today is with Hernan Diaz, who won the Pulitzer Prize for his novel Trust, which was a New York Times bestseller, long listed for the Booker Prize and won the Kirkus Prize. His first novel, In the Distance, was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize and the Penn Faulkner Award, and it was the winner of the New American Voices Award, among other distinctions and awards. He is also the author of Borghese, Between History and Eternity. His novel, Trust, includes four competing narratives, all centered around a husband and wife who were stratospherically wealthy during the 1920s in New York City, The husband was a Wall Street tycoon who eternally profited even during the great stock market crash and depression and whose wife was the daughter of eccentric aristocrats and was determined to forge her own path as a patron of the arts. The four sections of the novel are told in various styles and perspectives, including a fictional novel, diary entries, biography, and memoir. The subjects trust explores include family wealth, ambition, capitalism, female autonomy and isolation. We began the discussion with me asking Hernan Diaz about the fact that he has the same name as a famous Argentinian football player.
1: That that is something that has haunted me for my entire life since I think he was really big in in during my teens and uh I It's not that I'm indifferent to football. I actively hate it and dislike it uh, because, you know, uh, growing up, I mean, I grew up in Sweden. I moved to Argentina like when I was 10 and spent my teens there. And if if you're that age and don't play football or soccer, uh, you are immediately ostracized and have a miserable time. And football like there's no outside of football in argentina it's it's like the weather it's something you can't leave like it's there and it's it's really it's like a lot especially you know the whole hyper masculine vibes around it at least at the time maybe now it's different but um so yeah so every time even to to this day uh, i utter my name I uh, have to deal with some sort of joke that people think I haven't heard ever before about there being a football player with my same name.
0: One of the things you write in your book, it's in the middle and you say, they say the education of a child begins several generations before it is born. And I Mm. never heard
1: that before. And so
0: I wanted to ask you where you thought yours began with your family
1: okay uh first first i'd like to frame that that quotation and um and say that i i happen to like that quotation it's it's a kind of it it comes in a distorted somewhat distorted way from emerson and i i try i give it i give it to a despicable character and it was hard for me to give it to him but it was also a way for me to be respectful to that character and and think that he may have some redeeming qualities like seeing this passage and and being touched by it although of course he uses it in in a way to signal his own privilege like he doesn't get it at all he's he's just really highlighting you know his his pedigree which which I don't think is the point of that of that quotation i don't know i mean my family past is a little murky to me. My father was kind of disconnected from his family. Uh, my mother has a sort of a family tree. It's, you know, it's it's a very typical immigrant background. And now I'm referring to my grandparents or great-grandparents immigrating into, into the, into Argentina, you know, at the turn of the century. They could have ended up in New York just, just as easily. Uh, they came from Italy on my maternal side and from Spain on my father's side. Uh, my father was actually the first generation. His his parents were born in Spain. So, Argentina is like a a very short blip. When I when I if I had to apply that quote to myself, I I feel it has to do with with books and uh, just being able to engage more deeply and more extensively with with a certain tradition that I'm interested in and and learning more about it and and feeling part of it you know I don't I don't mean I don't mean that in a presumptuous way at all I just I just mean this is this constellation of of, of writers is you know is is home and and one is in conversation with them it doesn't mean that one is a worthy interlocutor it just means that one is addre- addressing that past. So I so I think that that more than any kind of family heritage, which is again a little opaque to me, uh, and that uh, you know that constellation of writers, more than any kind of institutional uh, education, which I was lucky to have to a very large extent, um, uh, is is what I consider to be my my true education. Sort of all the stuff that I've read and keep on reading for pleasure and delight.
0: Are there a few in the constellations th- that you could name that were pivotal?
1: There are really, really so many The I, I always begin with Borges because if, if you are a Borges reader, which I've always been and always will be, I mean, since my teens, um, that is such a gateway to to such a massive map you know, such a detailed, granular, but also extensive map of of literature, of world literature, as we like to say today. So so Borges is is high up there. Um, I think uh, also, you know, in my teens, I discovered Julio Cortázar, whom I don't reread so much, but he was important back then. And then sort of in my lateish teens, like 16, 17, I started reading in earnest in English, and for some reason that that was really important to me and guided at first by Borges, you know. So I started reading, I don't know, Hawthorne, Poe, Emerson, sort of very New Englandy stuff, you know, Whitman. And then that expanded weirdly also to detective fiction in, in English, sort of hard-boiled Hammett and Chandler, you know, which I whom I still love. Then I became very interested in 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 philosophy, which which I read for a really long time and and studied earnestly in uh, at college and and taught for a spell. And then I kept sort of delving into Anglo-American and I include Irish and Scottish in that canon. I don't know why I was very drawn to to that tradition. Uh, the nineteenth century novel. Uh, you know, in the US and in the UK is, is all important to me. And um, uh, also the turn of the century novel, uh, you know, Henry James, uh, above probably anyone else in that, in that period. I'm also very, very invested in sort of high modernism. And, um, and, and that's something that I, that I've read extensively, Uh, also sort of Latin American modernism and, and, and 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 french and german modernism uh like that 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 period is and and the way in which it challenges um form not not just form that that sounds even too modest for 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 that period sort of the in between wars i i think it challenges the very notion of representation in literature so so that is very interesting to me and then of course they're they're many contemporary writers who who are who are very important to me but i would say then you know that that my home has always been sort of from, from 19th century modernism a cluster of of, of contemporary stuff that I, that i like and that this cluster is ever changing luckily i mean i think that's a very healthy thing and and you know a good portion of of philosophy and theory and aesthetics which is stuff that I, that i'm still quite invested in so,
0: so tell me a little bit about the Genesis for trust I've seen other interviews with you that you're very interested in the, in power dynamics around money and the monetary system and things like that but just curious for you about taking this on and if there was any fear of trying to learn how this all worked
1: oh yeah no fear is is sort of is sort of uh, um, a, a constant color in my emotional palette. It's it's always there to some extent, for sure. But perhaps the best way to to enter into this conversation would be actually to pick a somewhat newer angle, which has to do with with solitude, which you seem to be interested in before uh in the in our previous question or loneliness and solitude is something that has always interested me, you know, in 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 most of things that I write. Um, that that is to me maybe not to other readers but if I it's the thing that I find myself right oh, oh I'm writing about loneliness again you know it sometimes it's intentional and sometimes it isn't um um but it's 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 perhaps a common denominator not not necessarily the only one but but it, it is very much there all the time most of the time and um with trust it it really started from there in a, in a very aware, conscious, and and deliberate way. Um I I thought that sure I you know I've I've never been a tycoon myself. It's not an experience that, that I've had, but um I thought that surely if you're if you're colossally wealthy, uh you must have access to everything you can think of: experiences, places, people, objects. Uh, but at the same time, that perhaps must come with a great sense of self-guardedness of um suspicion of paranoia of increasing isolation seclusion uh, and loneliness so so that to me was was a productive dissonance just to think of <clears throat> the friction between these two um experiences um so Honestly, that that was the genesis. Then came the all the ideological aspects, the the you know the the reflection on economics and power and gender and truth and storytelling and history and which are totally crucial to the book. It's not um, uh, uh, you know these are not accessories in any way. The, 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 they're constitutive to the to the project. But but the seed, the Genesis, the the uh, w- where it all sprung from was was this was this kind of emotional um, um, uh, imagining this 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 isolation that 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 that's how it all started
0: because in your book, you sort of look at it from four different. Angles, you your book contains kind of four sections that are told Mm -hmm. very differently. One is a novel, one's you know a memoir, uh, one is from a diary, one is kind of a personal narrative. And I'm curious if by looking at loneliness, because I would say, you know, in each section you have lonely characters, Mm -hmm. no matter if you're changing who they are. If you came in maybe thinking one thing and came out with any realizations about loneliness.
1: I think I think all my realizations are are in the book. Like I'm not there isn't anything that I feel compelled to gloss or expand on further. Like what I learned about loneliness for these four characters is what you may find in in the book and and that is the best way that I found to narrate and to convey that which means um that is the best way in which i can express what i learned about the solitude of these four uh people narrators characters um but uh, you you are totally right uh, uh you know um all all of these characters or narrators are profoundly alone even when they're together you know there's uh in the final section there's there's a scene where uh, in the in the personal diary, it's it's just a scene that takes two lines, and um, it's basically you know uh, Mildred and and uh, and uh, Andrew, wife and husband, lying on this hospital bed. Uh, you know they're they're both fully clothed, and and they're just holding hands, and um, and Mildred speaks about the solitude a deux, like the the the. So- the 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 being this this loneliness this 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 uh to what would the translation be like this this coupled loneliness in a way like they're 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 there they're together they're holding hands and they're alone and uh, and i feel that 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 um kind of reflects their their um relationship to some extent in the second book Of course, this man is alone because he's, he's, uh, he's monumental, or or he, you know, he pretends to be he hopes to be and, you know, there's there's nothing more lonely than being a hero, you know, you you are by essentially alone, because you're doing what nobody else can do. And you're doing it for everyone else. This, of course, is an ideological lie. This is how he represents himself. Uh, In the third part, um, we have um, this this young Italian-American secretary who is very much on purpose in that section in the book surrounded by men she she doesn't have sort of a a friend um, who a, a female friend um uh or anyone she can relate to in that way and and I very much wanted that character to be besieged by by these men who who want to extract things from her all of them want something from her so that, that's a particular kind of uh, hostile loneliness. And, and then in the fourth and last part, which I quoted um, poorly from a moment ago, uh, we have Mildred, who is facing death, which is, of course, the, the, the loneliest experience we all of us will ever will ever have.
0: We'll be back with this interview in just a moment. Remember, you can listen to this and every episode without ads and without these pitches by becoming a patron of First Draft at patreon.com slash Writers. I noted, I folded down the page in the first section where it's fictionalized and um, where you have Benjamin, who's the magnet, the tycoon, and he's marrying this woman, Helen. And they're both very Mm. singular in how they are in the world. They are loners. And she basically makes a conscious decision to marry him because uh, she could find the solitude that she wanted, which is not usually why you think of people getting married.
1: Maybe not today. Maybe not today. But I think that... For a very long time until just a few decades ago i think don't press me for for an example because it would take me a beat but i think we can intuit this at least in 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 fiction and and in novels and in storytelling like i i think that for centuries millennia uh really uh perhaps this kind of marriage was the only way in which a woman who wanted to be left alone could be left alone, you know, because 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 otherwise, you know, all the social pressures, or you know, a husband who was who was exacting, who was demanding, who was abusive, who was you know uh, um, um, oppressive in 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 any awful way or subtle way that she can think of was was imposed on her or or any other kind of social strictures so i i actually kind of disagree with you i th- I, I i think that probably um a lot of women got married to to distant men so that that they could be left alone i that doesn't seem implausible at all to me you know over the course of over the course of of our patriarchal history uh, that that seems actually very very like a very reasonable proposition don't you think
0: i think if you had a certain social status and wealth it, it was probably more possible
1: of course of, oh, oh oh doubtless no it's it i i think for most women lo- this kind of protected loneliness was an absolute privilege uh, you know it's, and it's of course a terrible thing, but but um, yeah, I'm not claiming to have done any serious historical research into this. It's it's just it seems to me that that it would make sense that 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 some women uh, of a certain uh, station <laughs> would 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 marry for exactly that reason, just to be left the the hell alone. I I, I can totally see that.
0: I'm curious how you take you know these maybe philosophical ideas and then channel them into story and like what is your process to do that
1: Um it's always a, like a very pompous and uncomfortable word to utter like my philosophical or whatever you know uh, theory driven or uh, um non fiction uh, aspects from which I come to the issue of loneliness regarding how that informs my my prose my fiction my my fiction um, I don't I don't like I never I hope I never write anything to illustrate any kind of conceptual point that I'm trying to make like I'm not that kind of writer I think some writers do it really well but I I don't i'm not an exemplary writer i don't i don't write fables of any kind you know there there isn't there isn't like um a central point that that this whole thing is trying to in a strict sense of the word illustrate as as in as in illuminate by drawing some kind of parable um i think hopefully that all the all all my readings that have affected me in a, in a meaningful and significant and deep way uh, are are so constitutive of how i think and talk and approach syntax and approach character and approach story and approach representation that i don't need to like it's it's part of how i think and speak and write it's not something that i again i'm trying to um uh present in a pedagogical way at all like if if i think of adorno for me is is a is a great philosopher of of loneliness for different reasons um uh, and uh and i don't think there's anything as like a Dornian necessarily in, 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 in trust, but, but the way in which I think about literature has been so influenced by him, like shaped in ways that I would find hard to undo that whenever I come to a book, as a reader, or as a writer, like a book that I'm reading or a book that I'm writing, uh, he is there in some, in some way, but i'm not thinking about him does this make sense it's it's a little bit like you know learning a language you know and you know you're proficient in that language when you're not thinking oh should i use the subjunctive here or is this the correct preposition you're just ordering breakfast without giving it uh, further thought so there's there's certain readings uh, that 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 have that are part now of the grammar of of my brain, if that makes any sense at all.
0: Yeah, it does. And I think part of the challenge, maybe when you have these thoughts and ideas and, and channeling them into your characters, like you were saying, you know, you were trying to evoke on the page what your current characters were experience of loneliness and you Mm -hmm. decided to paint them in a certain way And I think one of the things, you know, so many people who listen to this podcast are writers that they struggle with. is like, I have this idea. I want to, I want to envision what it's like to maybe be a woman in a sanitarium in Switzerland. And I want to talk about, um, a, a female's actual dominance over her husband. But then how do I turn that into a story? How do I turn that into, into something compelling and that's where you have to take away anything that might be didactic and turn it into story. And I, I exactly. just your your ideas are so complex and high minded. And how do you how do you do that?
1: Well, I, again, I I don't think I start with maybe I start with the ideas to some extent, like the the more disembodied ideas to call them somehow, because I'm loath to call them like philosophical ideas or conceptual uh you know uh uh uh, points or whatever um so let's call them sort of these disembodied ideas for lack of a better i'll come up with something better as soon as we um wrap this up don't worry and uh maybe there there is an element of that but uh i i would like to stress a couple of things um uh, the first thing is emotion i i you know i I read to to feel things and I write to feel things and hopefully convey to readers the things that I'm feeling as I'm writing. Um, that is that is probably number one tied with a sense of formal rigor like emotion alone i'm I'm not interested in that in 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 like a, a, a scream on the page that's very unappealing to me um equally unappealing is um is some kind of um uh, heartless uh uh formal engineering experiment like that leaves me literally cold so um um uh so that that's that's the first thing for me, like uh, to to try to to find the emotional um, aspect of whatever it is that I'm writing, but also try to do it as beautifully as I can. Uh, the, these two things are are paramount. There's there's nothing more important than those two. Not even story is trumps that in to my mind, like there are so many things that I read that you know aren't diegetic or plot driven and and but they have these things and that's that's enough for me that's all I need if in addition to that you know you you are telling a story because I like to be told stories as well but but again it's not that that is the the first thing for me um um I think everything has to be in service of of, these, of this, of this kind of, um, first, uh, dyad that I, that I mentioned of, 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 of emotion and, and, and formal rigor. Um, and, and the story for me happens in, in language. Like, I don't, I'm not like a platonic writer. Uh, by which I mean that I don't have like an ideal story that is floating in in in, in some kind of essential ether that then is manifested and incarnated in that more or less contingent form on the page. Um, for me, the 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 story really grows sentence by sentence. I'm a writer of sentences. I'm not a writer of stories, uh, which I think is a distinction that I hope to remember because I'm going to use that some other time. (laughs) Um, uh, If that makes any sense, like I just said it off the cuff, and I feel that that makes a ton of sense to describe what my process is. And um, and of course, this, you know, as I write, I, I think, oh, you know, ultimately, I want this scene or this chapter or even the whole book, if I'm lucky, you know, to go to this point. And there will be a million detours along the way, but I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but I don't, like, I don't draft. I don't, you know, because again, I, I'm writing sentence by sentence and I'm editing all my sentences as I go along. So when I'm done, I'm done. And I keep editing like like a crazy person forever, but 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 it's, it's not that then I go on to draft two. There's no draft two.
0: We'll be back with this interview in just a moment. Remember, you can listen to this and every episode without ads and without these pitches by becoming a patron of First Draft at patreon.com slash Writers. When I was reading this book, I was thinking, you know, it's so unique because you have these four parts in there. It's almost like a deconstruction of itself, but it also is building at the same time. I find that I found my reading yeah. experience to be both sort of, Collapsing and expanding at the same time, Um, and I thought I don't. I don't think AI could write this.
1: (laughs) I I have like AI comes up all the time now because I understand it. I can't explain to you, Mitzi, the extent to which I know nothing about this. Um, So I, (laughs) I I don't even know. I, but uh, thank you.
0: (laughs) You're a real person.
1: Oh, of course not.
0: Is there anything you want to say about the book? I know we didn't get deep into the plot or anything we were kind of talking up oh, here,
1: no. but is it there- Lovely. I feel like I've been talking about the book for so long and and this has been really refreshing. You managed to to make me say things that I hadn't said before. So <laughs> that's that's fun for me, even if it is erratic for everyone else.
0: Can you read a passage from an author that speaks to or influences you as a writer?
1: I can. I'm for once in my life I'm prepared for this because I was told that this would happen to me, so I am ready. So, I have this up here. So, this is one of I'm going to read a whole short story which is one of my favorite texts in the history of texts. And it's just one sentence long. And it is written by Franz Kafka. And is it, it is called The Wish to Be a Red Indian, which is needless to say, a very problematic translation by Willa and Edwin Muir. Um, I, I don't read German, but I looked this up and red has been added to the title, which absolves Kafka from, from that the responsibility of that that word so uh shall i shall i shall i shall i destroy this by reading it uh hesitantly and stutteringly? okay again it uh keep in mind this is just um one sentence um and it's the whole um it's the whole story if one were only an indian Instantly alert and on a racing horse, leaning against the wind, kept on quivering jerkily over the quivering ground until one shed one's spurs, for there needed no spurs, threw away the reins, for there needed no reins, and hardly saw that the land before one was smoothly shorn heath when horse's neck and head would be already gone and that's it Mm -hmm. that's the whole story and i love it so much
0: wow do you want to say anything else about it
1: oh well i I have so many things to say i mean the the first one is, is um sort of the the this beautiful um interplay between compression and expansion in in the single sentence Uh, but i mean by compression i mean syntactical compression you know it's 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 a very very tight sentence it's one lonely sentence and by expansion i mean that it is describing a vast expanse you know the sort of this 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 boundless territory and 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 also this metaphysical expansion you know this this merger of of the writer with the landscape so again compression and expansion uh, managed so so beautifully and then there is something beautiful there is you know again talking about syntax and even the morphology of the the grammar of the of the of of, of the passage you know if one so we start in this in 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 the, in an impersonal kind of uh world but then you know um uh immediately that one seems to be negated by by that subjunctive if one were only an indian and that longing like there has to be there has to be a subject there has to be a person behind that longing but then there is a whole um there there's a there is a there is a there's a whole arc you know uh, from from that longing to the to the impersonality of, of 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 the end, you know. And I and I and I also, you know, I don't. Again, I don't read German, but the use of n- not conjugated verbs in in this passage is so so beautifully and kind of unmoored from from time, you know. Uh, uh, is that is so lovely and. And just this single sentence, you know, narrating this trajectory into sort of a vanishing point almost as as understood in 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 perspective, you know, this 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 point where parallel lines to our eyes uh converge, you know, so so it's essentially an impossible point. Um and and there is this velocity you know this just writing becoming in the end speed becoming in the end stasis and motionlessness because the writer has merged with the landscape so 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 velocity is almost canceled out uh so so there is there is this again compression expansion velocity and stasis and and uh and 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 self and 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 uh and, and impersonality it's it's just it's just so it's just so immensely beautiful and moving and elegant to me um, yeah I hope that makes sense and that somebody else finds something in it.
0: Can you read something you wrote? Maybe it was extra hard or changed from the first draft or something you liked.
1: Yeah, uh, well, again, no drafts for me, but um, uh, yeah, let's let's read the first section, the novel within the novel. Um, Morning brought out a deeper sort of white from the changeless snows, capping the peaks on either side of the valley, which later in the midday sun would become blinding splinters. A pastoral bell echoed across the sky dappled with flocks of small solid clouds while unseen birds found themselves yet again unable to break their bondage to their two or four notes the air was laced with the scent of water stone and the long dead things that darkly were finding their way back to life deep under the dew-soaked dirt during that unpopulated hour the buildings ceased to be objects of artifice and industry to reveal the nature fossilized in them and come forth in their mineral presence. The breeze dissolved in stiller air. The treetops, so green they were black against the blue, stopped swaying. And for a moment, there was no struggle and all was rest because time seemed to have arrived at its destination. Then a nurse with a compress, an orderly with a rake, a doctor with a clipboard, a server with an infusion would set it all in motion again. The itching, the exhaustion, the words, the thoughts behind them, and the noise of her being so much louder than the world.
0: Do you want to share why you chose that one?
1: Yeah, um, I mean, this is, I I promise to you, this is not intentional, but Gosh, there is um, there is a par- there is like a parallel between this and 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 the Kafka thing. And I know that sounds impossibly vain. I mean, I'm, I'm just saying. I notice. I'm I'm not talking about quality or anything. I'm just saying I, I notice uh, that uh, I notice Kafka's influence here too because we have a, a similar interplay of, of this impersonality. You know, of just being absorbed by the landscape. You know, we we have um the landscape and the and the and the, and the and the and the and the and the and the gazer the 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 viewer of the landscape seem to be merged in the first paragraph right um and then in the second one we see the sort of the world rushing back in and and there is and there is and there's a person with her thoughts that are louder than the world that was just described in the in the previous paragraph so it's in a way it's the reverse of the the reverse trajectory and again this is totally unplanned like it's happening by just by juxtaposing these two texts this goes from impersonality to 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 selfhood in a way and it's also it's 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 sort of this lyrical passage in a book that doesn't normally have this tone you know it's very much and very intentionally sort of encrusted in in that point of of the novel. And I wanted to achieve a tone that is unique to that that paragraph. It's like a flight of, it's a rhetorical flight that that none of the narrators allow themselves um, ever in that book. And I actually wrote that trying to come out of of a moment when I was really, really, really profoundly stuck with the novel. stuck in that unpleasant way that that is life-threatening and you think it's this is just it's over for me and I try to get out of myself and out of the book uh and I wrote this and I found again here's the sort of the writer of sentences rather than the person who has an overarching plan I I found that this worked well in that setting and and it also does a lot this passage ends up doing a lot of things and it's referenced in covert ways in other parts of the book, too. So so it ended up being a, a very, very important passage, uh, although it was born out of, out of a sense of despair.
0: Where do you write?
1: Where I can. Um, uh, I live in a very small apartment in Brooklyn, as you know from the beginning, and I was just being texted by my child who was ejected from her own room to... Do this interview with you, and now she wants back in <laughs> uh, I write a lot at libraries um a lot um uh, and uh a bunch at cafes um with with stupid, enormous noise canceling headphones because um you know um baristas love their playlists.
0: What do you do or where do you go to get away from writing?
1: I listen to music a lot to to get a I I don't I don't ever want to get away from writing like I'm not if I'm not writing it's because I'm stuck as I told you or I'm working on something else like I'm I'm on book tour or I you know I'm editing the journal that I that I that I that I edit um as my quote-unquote day job uh, or, you know, or I'm, I'm being a parent or I'm, you know, or I'm dealing with like the, the tedious stuff that makes up daily life, but I I'm never trying to get away from writing. I'm trying to, th- that's what I would ideally want to be doing all the time if I were left alone to do it. And if I were inspired enough to do it all the time.
0: Who do you show your work to first to get feedback?
1: My wife. And she is, um she's brilliant uh she is a filmmaker so she comes to storytelling from a totally different point of view and uh and she is um, a massive influence in 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 my work and i i end up taking most of her notes actually
0: how have you dealt with rejection
1: it almost drove me crazy to to i'm not using the word lightly at all uh you know for for well over a decade i everything that i wrote was rejected universally like everything not part of it everything everything that i wrote um and uh it made me feel insane it made me wonder if i was actually like doodling on the page rather than writing actual words so and you know i was i was very angry and i was very like not understanding like i this is all i wanted to do but i was told to please stop by the world and that that was a complicated thing to negotiate for myself and 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 to keep going without becoming like a solipsistic crazy person you know or or you know and so to muster and and this perhaps will go to will resonate with some of the writers who are going through similar experiences because i think it's it is part of of being a writer and uh, unless you're immensely lucky and people like publish the, your stuff you know when you're 21 and then you have this continuous you know stream of publications it's not at all my experience and and uh what i was going to say is that the the hard thing is to pers- persevere in to not doubt your love for what you're doing you know despite of the reaction you're getting from from the world um that is that is a very hard thing but it but it is that that love that that will that will hopefully make you stay with it you know you don't and i I know it was that was the case for me like nobody again would touch my stuff and I kept doing it because I loved being in language it wasn't about you know uh being I mean it was being published in the sense that it's it's a nice moment of validation and to be part of a dialogue with other writers and to be heard you know it's it's important uh I'm not dismissing it for one second but but at the end of the day behind the anger behind the frustration behind the the immense Feeling of solitude there was there was uh there was the love of of inhabiting language
0: and what is your favorite word
1: um milk
0: thank you so much for your time i'm so appreciative
1: you, i'm i'm very grateful this was this was great fun
0: If you liked today's show with Hernan Diaz, author of the novel Trust, check out my interview with Matthew Thomas on his novel, We Are Not Ourselves. We talked about finding the title, how we can evolve as humans, the decisions he made about point-of-view characters, and writing about American women in the second half of the 20th century. You can find that interview in the entire First Draft archive of more than 415 interviews at firstdraftwriters.com. Join me as I reach for honesty, vulnerability, connection, curiosity, and insights on craft with each episode. I can't tell you enough how much each and every single dollar counts to keeping this show alive. The first tier of support is just $6 a month, so please go to patreon.com slash first Coming up in the next few months on First Draft, interviews with Jennifer Groats, Buzzy Jackson, and David Vandenberg. I want to send out a huge thank you to my patrons for making this interview happen. Your support makes First Draft a dialogue on writing a reality every week. Please stay healthy and safe. The theme music for First Draft was produced and performed by Murph Mahaffey. I'm your host and producer, Mitzi Rapkin. Thank you for listening.